Well, hello and welcome to East Lake Online. We are so glad that you are watching this from wherever it is that you are watching this, probably from your living room and your PJs, and I love what you've done with the place in here. It looks amazing. Uh, we're so glad you're tuning in and we start a brand new series today. We are actually live right now. We are at the Uptown Theater uh, pretty much by ourselves um, and uh, we, uh, we're filming this on a 10 second delay. So if I say anything inappropriate, I have 10 seconds to figure this thing out. Uh, we are attempting to figure out how to like incorporate that into our actual live production when we do this, when things get back to normal, but uh, who knows what that's going to be at. But, uh, so glad you survived week one of quarantine, and you guys, I have not worn a bra in four days, and it is amazing. So I, I, I really, yeah, exactly. Um, and to be fair, ha half the credit for that joke goes to my wife. Um, so <laughs> um, a couple of business items I want to take care of. By the way, my name is Brent. If this is your first time ever watching, he's like online. You're like, what kind of church is going? Anyways, I understand. I get it. Um, uh, we uh, typically meet at the Uptown Theater, but we're here now, and a couple of business items I, I want to address right up front is, uh, number one, we added something this week, because typically when you've come through the doors, you've been handing like a program, and it's got like all kinds of stuff in there, and one of them is a connect card to kind of communicate what's going on in life, and prayer requests, and updates, and everything like that, and those have been missing, because there's no way to physically get you a program on your way into your living room. So we created a part of our website, eastlaketricities.com slash connect. Now you're probably watching this from your computer, so like don't delete this to go do that. That would be like, uh, you know, that'd be horrible. But if you could add a tab or perhaps do it from your phone, we basically took our connect card and made it all online. <clears throat> so you are free to go in there and uh, update us with uh, things going on in life, uh, prayer requests, uh, next steps. Um, for If you're a first time or second time guest and you're watching this for the very first time, we have a thing where we have donated money to different organizations doing good things locally and globally. Um, and uh, we have, we're committed to doing that as well, even, even via online stuff too. So let us know that you're a guest with us and we will be sure to send a giant check uh, for the month of March, we're still in March, it's going to Grace Clinic, which provides medical services for people uh, in our local community who don't have insurance or are underinsured, and uh, they're doing great work there. So, uh, that's going on. As well, uh, we are going to be doing another Q&A immediately following this talk. So we're going to finish the talk, we'll do like a one and a half minute, two minute switch of the stage, and then Aubrey's going to be joining me on stage for a little Q&A. So if you're watching this online, on the right hand side, oops, my, my left, your right, on the right hand side of your screen, you should see a box that has some sort of Q&A. If anything comes up that is uh, either message related or just life related or whatever, feel free to put that in there and then we will uh, attempt to answer some of the some of those questions probably can't get to all of them, so apologize if yours doesn't get read, but we are reading all of them at one point. So, uh, and thanks to, for your doing your part to flatten the curve uh, in our local community uh, here, whether you're home doing uh, home stuff or whether you're doing essential work, it's been a absolutely wild couple of weeks and I've been doing some random check-ins, uh, either phone calls or whatever, uh, for the last week, because once this thing got like serious, and we're like, okay, this is really like buckle down time, uh, and I'll be doing more over the next couple of weeks, however long this thing lasts. So if you see my number show up on your caller ID, I'm not calling you to remind you of online giving or ask you for toilet paper. I really am just calling to check in and see how things are going. So please answer your phone when I call, that would be great. I, like you, have spent the last uh, week or so um, trying to uh, make sense of some stuff, right? Um, trying to read the news, trying to be informed, trying to update, you know, all the stuff that you need to know or think you need to know about this. Um, watching social media, reading Twitter, doing all of that, trying to find, <clears throat> trying to find the right voices to listen to um, during this, because it's there's a lot of noise out there right now, right? So what voices am I listening to that I trust that 
is not just like true information in terms of news-wise, but just like, this is who I need to hear. This is the voice I need to be listening to right now. And uh, just real quickly, a couple of things, two voices that have stood out to me uh, in the last week or so. One is um, not a, like a current voice, but I remember I, I had read a book called Anti-Fragile uh, about a year ago or so. I think I talked about it in a message at one point too. Nassim Nicholas Taleb um, wrote it, and he talks about how this idea of... Um, a lot of things in life are fragile. When chaos happens, when disruption comes, they break. They're, it's, they're easily breakable. But every once in a while, there's a few things in life that chaos actually strengthens, strengthens it. It's those things of developing a level of anti-fragility in this thing. Like they embrace chaos. They embrace disruption because it makes them stronger as, as a result of it. One could argue that our country went through a little bit of anti-fragility uh, post 9-11 uh, when it felt like you know everything kind of crashed down but we, we kind of came out stronger in that way that would be one national example of it but uh, on a personal level on a corporate level I'm trying to I'm here this is, this is what I'm thinking through right now I, like that voice is speaking to me and I'm trying to figure out for myself what would it look like uh, for how we do church um, to be more stronger more strong is that the right to be stronger as a result of all of this chaos and mess at the end of this. Like, we come out and we're not bruised, we're actually better for it. Um, what would it look like uh, on a national level? Sure, but I, I don't have a lot of control in that area. So, for me, I'm trying to say, in, in, this, in the way that we do church, what am I going to learn about this through all of this? Be stronger as a result. And then, and then also personally, how am I personally? Um, and, and I would encourage you to be asking that question too. What, what can I do? What's, what's things that I can learn in this moment that I could never learn uh, otherwise and, and do that? And then, and then the second voice that I've been listening to as well, or one that stood out to me for sure this last week was um, a pastor over in Atlanta. Andy, I've mentioned him several times. In fact, if you go through our starting point, a curriculum, his curriculum is based on that, on that church, um, or that curriculum is based on his church. Um, and in his Instagram post this week, he posted a, a quote from Martin Luther going through the bubonic plague, and, and it's really, really great. You should Google that or whatever. But um, in it, he had kind of three takeaway points, and the points were simply this. Um, there's, he prefaced it with this. Someday, all of this is going to be a story that we'll tell. And I don't know when that day is. It might be a, a month from now, it might be a year from now, or whatever. Someday, all of this is going to be a story that we're going to be able to tell. Let's make it a real good story. Let's make it a story that's worth telling. And, and I've seen it, you've seen it, you've seen some videos, you've heard some stories of people, neighbors, uh, friends, doing things for other people that like during normal times, you'd be like, you're weird, creepy, what are you doing? Um, but in this time, it's like, that's a really cool story. Do you remember, like I can't remember, I was talking to Kylie, my wife the other day, and I was like, do you remember what happened in 2011? Like, do you remember 2011 at all, right? <laughs> you know, what happened? She's got a better memory than me, so she lets it off a few things, but I was like lost. I was like, I don't even, I don't even, I don't know a thing that happened in 2011. None of our kids were born. We didn't move any, uh, you know, any great distances or do anything like that. Um, and yet, I'm, I know that from here forward, we're all, every single one of us is going to be like, do you remember 2020? The year that the world caught on fire? The, the year that we were all stuck indoors forever? Like, we'll never forget this. So let's make it a story that's worth telling. How about that, huh? So anyways, uh, this is not going to be a series uh, specifically on, like, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff or, or whatever, or like new dystopia life or whatever. Um, we are going to do a series that uh, has been on the calendar for the last several months. Um, we are going to try and kind of maintain our flow, not with a disregard for what's actually happening in the world, but just because I crave a little bit of normalcy in my life, and I think that you do too, and I think we kind of deserve a little bit of, you know, hey, this is kind of what's uh, a, little, a little bit of what's normal. So anyways, I... 
I just wanted to address it, but then I also just want to say, uh, we, we know that that's there, but let's let's uh, let's move forward. Let's keep plowing forward and, and make this thing happen. So, um, we teach in series here. If you're if you're new to the East Lake system or whatever, um, we we take a topic, we focus on it for three, four, five, six weeks, whatever, until I get sick of talking about it and you get tired of hearing about it. One of the two. Um, and then we move on, and, and it's all related to kind of biblical understandings or, or really trying to figure out what life looks like in the 21st century based on the teachings in the way of Jesus. Um, and, uh, so, and so we've done that, and, and um, a lot of times a series will build upon a series for me. So I'll be researching one, and I'll come across something, <coughs> excuse me, and I'll say, that's really good. I should do a series on that, or I should talk about that, but it's not... It's it's not contained within that. I have to be like, okay, let's tuck that away, and I'll come back to that someday and do another series on on that idea. And so, in back in like November, we did a series on Augustine, and for me, uh, some of the books that I, I read during that time really sparked a lot of stuff. In fact, our last series that we just did called Take and Eat, the series on the Bible, was came out of a, a story of Augustine in the garden and and, and realizing the, like the role of scripture in his life. And so that was that was a big deal. Like, what does scripture look like? How does it actually work? Um, so that was birthed out of that. And then when I was studying for this one, it also birthed this new series, which is called A Religion of Nobodies. And I know nobodies might be spelled wrong and you're worried about the grammar. I'll, I'll, it'll come through as to why that makes sense, I think, a, a little bit later. But this idea of a religion of uh, nobodies. And the goal for this series, it's going to be a three-week series leading up to Easter Sunday. The goal is to make you appreciate something about the Easter story that you may never have noticed before or kind of goes underappreciated during the telling of it. So it's a buildup for that. It pays off with that. And it's not that the fact that they were all gathered together after Jesus was crucified in a, in a room and you're like, I've never appreciated a group gathering together before until now I live in complete isolation. That's not it, although that is definitely a part of it. Um, but uh, anyways, I'm, I'm hopeful that you will continue to watch uh, for the next couple of weeks as we lead up to Easter. It's looking like Easter will be spent at home as well um, doing this, and so that's our plan uh, for that. But that doesn't mean we can't participate in a really cool series that kind of highlights the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the really the core essence of why Christianity exists in, in the first place. So, all right. Week one today, I call it lingua franca, which just means the language of the people, or um, he, he, this is this is the common common language uh, for us. This week, our government passed a two unprecedented two trillion dollar that's trillion with a t stimulus package in order to offset unemployment lost wages and really just reset our financial economy a little bit it, you know, unless you're living under a rock this is not news to you we are all apparently getting a big fat check well not all of us if you're watching this from an 80 inch tv or larger you are exempt from this you do not get it sorry those are the breaks i didn't write the rules i just live by them uh, but for the most of us uh, apparently we are getting $1,200 per taxpayer, if you're a married couple, $2,400, and $500 per kid, which means that Philip Rivers just got an additional $75,000 check, and that is a football sports joke. Uh, Philip Rivers has lots of children. You should Google it if that was unfamiliar to you. Um, and except there's a cutoff, obviously, if you make a certain amount of money, then, then you, you are exempt from this as well, and that kind of feels appropriate in this way. But when you do the math, there's a lot left unaccounted for with all of this, even if you added all of the uh, taxpaying Americans under that line with, with the kids and everything else. And depending on which news station that you listen to, there's a lot of, what the hell are we doing with this money, uh, heading to places that have little, seemingly little to do with some of the glaring needs, such as personal, you know, 
protective equipment uh, and ventilators and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it feels like, why are we spending the money there? Why is it going here? Why, why are we either bailing out Boeing and other big businesses who just use the money for stock buybacks? Or why are, was this really the best time to be worrying about airline carbon emissions and funding the Kennedy Center, right? And, and these are the valid concerns coming from either, either side of this thing. It, and somebody might be sitting there right now going, is that real? Are those things really in the stimulus package? And the answer to that question is, I don't actually know. I've not read the stimulus package, and neither have you, I would guess. Because who has the time to read it when there are unwatched Tiger King episodes on Netflix, guys? Like, that's clearly, uh, um, the other two nights ago, my wife fell asleep during episode two of Tiger King on Netflix. And when I asked her about it the next morning, she said, can you believe that girl got her arm bit off? Like, that was the craziest thing that happened in that episode, which is unrealistic. <clears throat> Besides, the, coming back to the stimulus—that's the side note. It, it, coming back to this whole stimulus package and the fact that you and I haven't read it, even if we did sit down and try and read it, we'd like get one or two paragraphs in before we fell asleep or completely got lost in the legal jargon. By the time we read "whereas" for the fourth time, "whereas this," "whereas this," we'd be like, "I'm out. I can't do this." If we're going to benefit for something from something like this in the short term and pay for it in the long term then you would think we would want a more readable version of this. And yet what we typically do with this is one of two ways, which is what we do with so much of our, our content when it comes into reading. We either read downward or we read upward. We take things and want them read downward to us. We say, CNN, read this and tell me what it says. So-and-so, read this. Tell me what's inside this stimulus package. I don't have time to read hundreds of pages. You tell me what it says. And we make concessions for legal vernacular, don't we? I mean, as soon as we start reading it, we can sort of place this sort of thing. When it says, whereas forthwith, the parties within hereby referred to, all right, all right, I get it. This is a legal document. I know what this is at. And then I set it aside because I'm like, I, this is boring. This is terms and conditions and, and agreements. And I just click accept or whatever. And that's fine. When we read that kind of stuff, we know it's a little bit out of our league or not worth our time. But I don't want something that big to be completely accessible to me either, right? If we're talking about two, half of $2 trillion, like half of our annual budget as a nation, as the richest nation in the world, um, it should be complicated. I should not be able to read it, right? Like, I'm fine with the fact that it's, that it's, that it's out there. I want it to be that way. It should be complicated. It should be complex. And it's interesting because on, on the other side of things, we can tend to look at things and read upward into them as well. Take things that are simple and make them more difficult. Either we're, we're taking things that are difficult and trying to make them more simple, or we're reading upward, which is taking things that are simple and making them complicated. Because if you've ever sold a car to a private party, if you've ever put it up for Craigslist and you've met and you've, you've talked about it and you showed this stuff and then they gave you some cash and then you realize, you went on the DMV website and you realize, I have to write up, you have to write up a bill of sale and they don't give you a template for it. It's just like, hey, make sure that you document. This is a legal document that you sold the car with this numbers of miles on the odometer for this amount of money. And you and I, here's what we do. This is, I don't maybe not you, but this is what I've done with this. As, it, as soon as I figured this out that I've got to write this, I didn't have attempted to do it myself, I all of a sudden become like this legal professor who writes in this way. I'll say something like, whereas the previous owner, known formally as Brent D. Johnson, Esquire is legally deferring ownership of his 1998 Nissan 200SX for the sum of no less than $400 and exactly zero cents, right? I mean, like, 
I, I totally write it, I write it up because I'm trying to like impress or make it feel like this is an actual leadership do- uh, 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 legal document. If I wrote 400 bucks, need some 200 sex, I, I just don't feel like that's legal. I feel like there's some way of like, that doesn't feel qualified as legal. I gotta, I gotta do this. And, and a lot of times we don't do it just to like for genuine stuff. We'll, we'll do it, um, we'll talk upward to try and feel like we're connected to something that we, or we, that we more understand something that we don't actually understand. I mean, it's like, um, uh, uh, like stock trading text group with a couple of guys uh, in, in our church who uh, do like daily stock trading stuff like that. And, uh, and we've been losing our shorts lately. So that's been fun. So anyways, but every day it's like this, like this banter back and forth by, Hey, have you looked at this? And, and there's some, some guys in the group that are really, really smart. And then there's, there, there's me. And so then, then I'm, I'm, but I'm always trying to like, talk up like I know, like, oh, have you looked at the PE ratio of this? Or the, uh, boy, the, the, the balance sheet on this looks a little bit questionable, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? But I'm, I'm putting this out there because I want to, like, feel part of the group. I want to um, feel like I'm contributing. I feel like I'm impressing, even though I know that they're not impressed, and they're watching this video right now going, we've never been impressed, right? I totally understand it. Pretentiousness, that's like pretentiousness, right? Is as much a violation of the sacred core language of, uh, as blasphemy. Like, we can look at something and say, oh, it, it, it shouldn't be dumbed down, you know, it, it should be, it should be kind of, it's, it needs to be formal, it needs to be legalese. Um, but in the same way we can kind of ruin something by making it more important than it actually is. We use language to flatter and impress, to make things sound more abstract than they actually are, to hide a lot of times our true intentions, to make it incredibly complicated and complex so that we can fund it with all kinds of different slush funds. It's two trillion dollars, guys, you're getting a ton of money. There's also gonna be a little bit that goes to whatever pet project I'm working on at the time. That is reading it upward. Now, this can be translated into scripture too. This is not just, and this is, you're like, this is a church, we should talk about scripture. I'm going to, here we go. Um, This can actually take place when it comes to the Bible that you do or do not read or whatever, um, in terms of reading it upward or reading it uh, downward. We We can read it and think, um, even you might be watching this and feel like my personal style is, or you know, East Lake's personal style, or whatever, has been too downward. Like we make it too accessible. This is the Bible; it should be read with reverence. We should all stand up, and we we, we should, uh, you know, make it. We, and we we I understand. Like there is a a certain respect to this. Like when I read this, I don't read it on par with <clears throat> like articles in the New York Times or articles on, on medium.com or something like that. Like it reads differently. There's a there's a an aura of it. There's a sense of it that's greater than that. Like I, I know I want <clears throat> to, excuse me, read it upward, but like um, there, there's always a, a, a sense too of the danger of making it more abstract than it really is because I don't like what it's requesting for me to do. And if I can distance myself by making it feel um, just kind of out there, and well, that can mean a lot of different things, and that's all metaphor, and that's all this, then I don't have to have any action as a result of this. <coughs> Excuse me, terrible time to have a cold, by the way. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a, a book called Eat This Book, and he was the author who translated the message translation of the Bible, uh, a pastor for a long time, and, and somebody that is one of my favorite authors. Um, and he wrote this in, the, in this book. He, he said, when it comes to reading and responding to scripture, uh, uh, the danger of violations upward is much greater than that of violations downward for the simple reason that it is more difficult to detect. We do this in a lot of different ways when it comes to scripture. We either read it up or downward. But the problem with reading it upward is it's, all, it's more difficult to detect. Outright blasphemy and angry goddammit calls more attention to itself than obsequious piety. And I looked it up for both of us, don't worry. Which basically means excessive obedience. 
For example, precious and exalted, holy and incomparable, God Almighty, intoned in a quavering voice. Like one stands out as definitely more harsh than the other, right? Ironically, the latter may be more of a desecration of language than the former. We think if somebody said this out loud, right, this idea of, ah, God damn it, right, then that's like very clearly in one category. And then when we intone all of this language that we've kind of uh, assumed or came up with or whatever, like that stands out as sort of uh, a different, a little more mild. And he's trying to say, no, it's the opposite is true in this way. Um, if you grew up in church, at one point you picked up on the fact that the Bible, as you know it, wasn't written in English, not even Old English, like the King James Version of it. Um, you know that the Bible is made up of primarily two languages, Hebrew and Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, which is the language of their heritage, and uh, the New Testament mostly in Greek, which is the language of the empire at the time. There are in there a few um, uh, moments where the, there's a, a language called Aramaic that comes in, which is a dialect of Hebrew, which was the spoken actual language of the Jewish people uh, during the time of, of Jesus' day, and a, a very uh, common thing. So when he cries out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Sabbathini, that's in Aramaic. There are some instances in the Old Testament where Aramaic shows up, but for the most part, like 90% of the book uh, of, of the books that make up scripture is Hebrew or Greek. But when the Gospel writers like John wrote about what Jesus said and what he did. He translated the words and the stories that Jesus was saying and speaking in Aramaic into Greek. He translated for us as we did this. And it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, the people understood him. The common people heard him gladly because he was speaking in a language that they understood. He spoke the language of God in their language. And if newspapers had been published in those years, they would have been in Greek. Business was conducted in Greek. Government decrees were issued in Greek. School subjects were learned in Greek. Greek was everywhere. Greek was the language. It was the education. It was the school system. It was all done in Greek, even though, and you might say, be sitting there saying, I thought the empire was Roman at the time. It was the Roman empire that was in rule. It was, absolutely. But they overtook them from Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And the Greek educational system had been in place for so long, it wasn't worth reinventing the wheel at one time. They just said, we'll just stick with Greek philosophers. We'll stick with Greek poetry. Um, they, the, the arts will take care of the military and the financial side, the Romans, but we'll leave the Greek education system in place. And so Greek was the dominant language of the day. The Greek language was so developed, there was no going back at the time. As the language adapted into international usage, because Rome kept pushing the boundaries of the empire further and further away from Rome and from uh, Greece and all of that, um, there developed a gap between the classic written literary style of Greek and how actually people talked, right? And I just even changed the words up there just to prove, but we, like we talked different. You talk differently than you write too sometimes. Or you'll read, you'll read an author who sounds very, um, like they, they write a certain way, and then you hear a live interview with them, and they talk differently. And that's fine. Like, we, we see some of this in, in, in just real life as well. Remember that bill of sale that I just talked about with the whole, I, whereas the former owner, right? Um, I wrote that down because I thought that would be a legal document that needs to be, like, legal sounding. But then when I texted my buddy about selling my car, I said, I sold my ride today, I got four bills out of it, right? That's the, there's a difference between what you write down and what you talk about. This new language of the people, how they actually talked, was Greek, but it was like a, it was like a different form of Greek. There, again, a gap had developed between it. 
almost unrecognizable in, in points, but what we have over here is what's called Koine Greek or Common Greek, which is what <coughs> a significant amount of New Testament scriptures and writers and authors uh, wrote with. Philosophers, poets, dramatists like Homer with the Odyssey and the Iliad continue to write in classical Greek or what they would term proper Greek, um, that, that way of kind of thinking things. All students learn that serious writers must shun the Koine or common language which was fit only for non-literary use. And there was consequence, the result of that, was that in the course of the three centuries preceding Jesus and the formation uh, of the Christian church, um, there were two levels of Greek language. The classical Greek represented by the great writers of the past and the common Greek used in the empire, across the empire, to conduct all of the affairs of everyday life. Only what was written in the classical Greek survived. Only what was, what was written in this long form, this like flowery sort of thing survived. The writings that ended up in libraries and governmental archives or on manuscripts or on formal inscriptions, the kind of writing that professional writers, like real writers, write about. That's what survived. In time past, the documents that became our New Testament were eventually gathered together by the early church, canonized, and added to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, and became the text for the Christian church. And scholars begin to notice that the Greek of Paul, and specifically of the gospel writers, notably Mark, was quite different from the Greek they'd learned in school. If you hold up ancient documents of Mark and Paul's early letters, um, even though it's Greek, it, it, it resembles it, but it doesn't. And you hold up the Odyssey or, or Iliad or whatever, you'll see that they're, they're, they're there, but they're, they're very different. One feels a lot more barbaric, a lot more uncouth, a little bit more slangy. It's almost like if you ever watched Moonshiners on Discovery TV, right? You watch it and you're like, it's English, but is it, right? That sort of a thing is happening. And maybe it's, uh, they, they came up with all kinds of ideas for why this was the case, Maybe it's like their Hebrew Aramaic background that caused their Greek language to be a little bit shuffled or muffled or whatever. Maybe it's, and there's, there was a group called the Purists who came along and said, maybe it's because the Holy Spirit gave them this like special language. It was like part Hebrew, but part, you know, there's like these words that were included in that, that, um, that weren't really Greek, but they're kind of Greek. But maybe this is like the spiritual language in this way. And it wasn't until an archaeological dig in 1897, which is a long time ago, I understand, but in a garbage dump outside of Alexandria in Egypt, they found scraps of papyrus with Koine Greek. Up until that time, the only documents that we had of, 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 of Greek language was classical written Greek, the literary written stuff down. We didn't have Koine Greek until 1897 when in the garbage dump they pulled out papyrus that had Koine Greek, common Greek, written on it. The words came from wills, reports, letters from husbands away on business to their wives at home, a letter that a son who had become a soldier wrote to his parents, a letter in which a father admonishes kids who were away from home, uh, petitions, accounts, shopping lists, bills, receipts, these kinds of writings that were never meant to get into the bounds of books, that were never meant to be written down for society to read later on and cataloged in the library. These were disposable, temporary notes, the language of the common people. We, we wrote this down because we didn't think anybody would actually read this. Our sacred texts were not written in the educated and polished language of scholars, historians, philosophers, and theologians, but in the common language of fishermen, prostitutes, homemakers, and carpenters. A bunch of nobodies. This was not handed down. This was not a religion developed by the elite and handed down to people to say, 
here's the gods, we happen to be one of them, make sure you respect your elders and the respect of people in authority over you. This was written by and for common people using the common language of their day. Now, it is true that later on in the New Testament, it began to get a little bit more developed. Some of the later books, the book like Hebrews and First Peter, um, begin to use a little bit more advanced Greek. They understood that we're now, we understand, we're 20, 30 years into this thing, People are collecting these. They're using these for, um, um, like, communicating t- teachings across the church, corporate church. See what? And so, w- when Peter writes his gospel to his church, First Peter, right? He he uses a little bit more advanced Greek because he understands now. But the New Testament authors, most of them, did not realize that this was going to be as significant as it was. They're simply writing down what they knew. And the, re- the way that we know that is they wrote it in the. They didn't think they were writing. They would have used classical Greek had they known it, or had they done it. They thought this was just normal stuff, man. This is going to be disposable. It's for some people. It's for a church in Corinth. It's for a church in Galatia. And then it's done, and it'll go away after that. This mess, by the way, with Augustine, going back to like series that build upon series, I remember reading this about um, Augustine's conversion. He had such a hard time with Scripture. He understood the church. He had like an affinity towards one of the pastors, a priest named Ambrose there. But his issue, one of his biggest issues with his conversion to Christianity was the fact that Scripture felt too accessible for most people. He wanted it to be more elite. It became, it became for him a turnoff for him religiously. He said this in, in Peter Brown's, um, he wrote a biography of Augustine Pippo, and it's one of the most popular ones. He said he had grown up expecting a book to be cultivated and polished. He had been carefully groomed to communicate with educated men in the only admissible way, in a language scrupulously modeled on the ancient authors. And for him, this felt too accessible. Anybody could sign up for this. This was not exclusive enough of a club for me to get into. I'm smarter than these people. Why can everybody read this? I should be the one who could read this and tell them what they need to know. He wanted to read it upward, to make it abstract, complex, difficult, achievable, if you knew the right stuff. It was only after his conversion that he realized that this word of God was not the elevated and distinguished language of philosophers, but the language in which men and women were finding themselves addressed by the Spirit in the muck of everyday life. And so, uh, it shouldn't be uh, that much of a surprise for us when you consider the person of Jesus and what we know about him, what was captured for us, the stories that these gospel writers said were important enough for us to know about what Jesus did and what he said. His preference for homely stories like parables, like, you know, relating the kingdom of heaven to a seed in the ground or or, or to a a pearl of great price or whatever. His easy association with common people, especially people who were left out or not a part of the religious crowd. His birth in a stable and his death on a cross. And Eugene Peterson finishes up this chapter uh, in the book on, on this. He says this, For Jesus is the descent of God to our lives, just as we are and in the neighborhoods in which we live, not the ascent of our lives to God, whom we hope will approve when he sees how hard we try and how politely we pray. Christianity, the message of Christianity, is focused on the descent of a God who came rather than a group of people who did it good enough who were religious enough, who said enough of the right words, who intoned it in in an emotional enough way, who did enough to ascend to the throne of God and receive passage into whatever. It's all about the descent, not the ascent of ourselves. Our religion is truly a religion 
of nobodies. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks, and I hope you join us. At this point, we're going to take a quick break, two minutes to change the set. We're going to go into some Q&A. If we lose you here, thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great, fantastic week, and we'll be back next week to continue with part two of A Religion of Nobodies. Alright, we are here with uh, my friend Aubrey, who is one of our board members here at the church, and is not too afraid of being in the same room as me and Andrew. I know, so you were coughing quite a bit. I know, no, I know, but I'm talking so much, I'm like, I'm a little nervous about it. Anyways, I'm, I'm doing good, I promise not to touch you, or, or sneeze that way, or do anything in that way. But she is also uh, on the Pasco School District uh, team, and your official role is... Uh, I work for the Pasco School District as a safety and risk manager. So, like, if, if you can imagine... I'll COVID all the time. <laughs> the busiest job ever right now. Um, and uh, so, one, I just want to say we appreciate what you and your team are doing for our community. I know we have kids in the Pasco School District. We've been super impressed with the way um, that our, their teachers have still been connecting with them, uh, the meals going out to all of the kids and all the different spots. Now you're doing it at, like not just school locations, but also apartment complexes. Um, so these kids are getting access to food that they wouldn't otherwise have. And uh, you guys are working, doing the best that you can in the midst of really un horrible circumstances. So kudos, please pass that on to your team. Kudos uh, for all of that. So I, I texted her my notes uh, last night, and so she's had a chance to kind of come up with a few questions of her own, uh, as well as if you're still watching this, you can submit some questions. Angie's in the back, they'll forward them on to us. And we'll kind of uh, do this. This is just, again, one of our attempts, something that we don't get to do uh, on a normal Sunday because you're too busy. Now, I've done the prayer, I've done the, the connect card, the giving envelopes, whatever, and you're back getting your kids and heading out to your car going home. Um, but since we're just kind of lingering, we thought, why not make use of the time a little bit and kind of add on to what we're talking about. So, anyways, I, I, uh, I, I would say, let me, let me start with a question for you, and then we'll go on with this. Uh, in, in your perception of, uh, like, where, where where do you think we're at with this? Uh, I, I hate to say where we're at with the COVID thing, right? Okay. But you you have you have more information. She she'll speak to us in code on on a board level. Be like, hey, if you're by your computer, you should really watch Jay Inslee's announcement at three thirty today. Um, how would you say our community has been responding to specifically the tri state Not nationally. We know that you know west side of the state's a different story. New York's a way different story. Mm -hmm. How would you feel like our community is doing in, in, in the midst of all of this? I think um, one thing that's really stood out to me with all of this, and I think what we get to see working with so many people really pulling together has been really the resilience of our community. It's been phenomenal, the response that we've been getting from local community members just asking for how can I help, how can I um, really reach outward in a time that we're all really being asked to and stay away and, and so it's been really challenging but we put a call out um, to like our staff recently for volunteers and I was just sitting watching the ticker like hundred people just people stepping up and saying hey how can I be of help right now for our community so I think that I have seen that a lot in our just local community um, fighting the fear with kind of how can I lean into this and embrace where we're at um, but not let fear really dominate us and I think that that um, is a challenge that we're all facing, right? There's right. times where it's really heavy, like anxiety can kick in, and then it's really easy to just kind of fight that with like these survival, I think, tactics versus really kind of leaning outwards towards. And what are you people. doing personally, or your what is your household doing personally to <laughs> um, not just pass the time, but like make the most of it, and uh, you know. So my guilty confession is we bought um, Animal Crossing. It's this new game on Nintendo Switch. Yeah. 
I've heard a lot of that. I've been probably playing it equally as much as the girls have when I have been working. So we've been really trying to just find ways for our family. Um, and yeah, our house like situation looks a little different right now because I've been working all day. So we kind of push everybody out for most of the day and then yeah. try to do some family lunches or the girls have been on the trampoline a lot, which is nice. Nice. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. You got some questions for me. I do. And, and it kind of is somewhat related to the message, but it just stood out to me as we're talking about the differences in language and how things are written in a common language or a, a proper language. And I know once one thing that's always been challenging for me, and I've heard it from other friends, like when we read a Bible study or something, is for someone picking up their Bible for the first time, Yeah. how would you, like, your one or two top tips for even interpreting the difference? Because you've got this background. I don't. So even for me reading and how do I interpret that, how do I know the differences in the language, all the stuff we hear on a Sunday, do you have any, like, insight or tips for how somebody could go about processing through that on their own. Yeah, I think I think it's always been interesting for me um, as a pastor and part of a big part of my job, the most visible part of my job is oratory, right? Like so you don't care necessarily what I do six days a week. It's just basically have a message ready to go on Sunday, right? So that's how so a lot of how my there is more to my job than that, but it feels like from the visible standpoint that's what it is. And so that's the most identified Version. And so for me, it's easy to watch other pastors come and talk, and, and I, I like and enjoy. Like, I have to study that part of my craft, per se, right? Of not just doing it myself, but like, what are the people doing? And what's interesting for me is watching people who, and specifically pastors, and I'm not critiquing everybody in this way, but like, who preach a certain way, and then, but I know them personally, and if I call them on the phone, it's a very different voice, right? And whether they think that they have to do that because that's expected of them in their local community or whether they do that because that's just what they feel like religiously it deserves, which is I'm, I'm okay with either one. I understand that there's just factors involved in that, right? So they change it based on, on that. Um, but what I is important for me to think about as I read scripture is especially what we talked about today. People, specifically Paul in, in the New Testament writings and a lot of the gospels were not up talking Jesus. They were simply talking in their own language. Now, <laughs> if our language is different than theirs, if, if it is for us like a different world, I, I understand that. Like I get, I can understand that people in even modern day China or modern day uh, UK do things, talk things, do things differently than me. Uh, but I think it's really important to think about we, we try, we, we see that done. We see a pastor talk a certain way and then order differently in a different voice at Starbucks. And we think, okay, that's what church does. And then we can translate that into, well, that's what the Bible does. And that's not true. Paul and Mark and John and Luke are just talking the way that they would have talked. This is their writings. The, the, the style, I mean, that's the important piece of today. The way that they wrote, the, the language that they used, they're writing in the common language. They were not trying to impress anybody. They're just trying to convey information daily information that's a result of this thing. Uh, one of the things that he writes about in this book, too, is um, uh, when Jesus does his uh, Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 7, um, he talks about, uh, he, the disciples say, Jesus teaches how to pray, and he says, all right, well, here's what you should do. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, like kingdom come, like will be done. That's the translation of it. But um, And then I guess that one part where it says, give us this day our daily bread. And that word that he uses there for daily bread um, was a was was one of those words that was very Koine Greek. It was not in. It doesn't show up in any other Greek language. It's exclusive to the Bible, 
And so as a result of that, people begin to talk about what daily bread could have potentially mean. Does it mean um, like, is it, is it Eucharistic talk? Is it communion talk? Is it like a spiritual metaphor for, again, his body that's been broken for me? Um, is it, uh, and so there was all kinds of things going on a lot of times in that, trend, in, the, in that interpretation of, is this, are we reading this highly, right? And then when these discoveries were made in 1887, um, they realized that one of these words, that word, and I, I can't even say it for you because I don't know off the top of my head, shows up on a shopping list from a woman who was writing out items to buy in the market, and it basically said, buy the daily bread. Like, not the day-old stuff, I want the fresh stuff. So it literally was not metaphorical. It was literally him saying, as he's praying, give, ask God for what you need today to be able to make this work. Um, I, I just think that that was kind of another piece for me that shows up where he's not like, it's not, he's not churching it up, right? He's just saying, this is the daily stuff. We, we go to Yokes. I mean, you shouldn't go to Yokes today, but you could go to Yokes. And it would say, you know, gar daily, uh, made fresh today, garlic bread or whatever, you know, those big loaves that they, they make on the daily. And that's, that's the kind of language that's being used in there. So anyways. Yeah, I really, and one thing that I wrote down just even today as I was listening to you speak on this, that I really personally like that. Like, I like the idea of um, seeing somebody in their kind of day-to-day I feel like for me that adds so much credibility when I'm having, I mean, I even think about the leadership team that I'm working with right now at the school district. This is a group of people that are really important in our district that I don't always have um, access to in the same way that we are right now. Sure. Where we're like sitting around, like we call it our war room, we're in there every day. Yeah. And you really get to know people yeah. for people. And so that adds so much credibility then to the person, right, that I might see speaking here or giving this presentation versus the person in the room. And it's, it's really going to be a great experience. I have an affinity for Andrew Cuomo because of the like the video that you just saw of him relating to his brother. Then you're like, oh, he's just a normal dude, like bantering back and forth in the way that I would have done if I had a little brother as well. So it's great. Like you'd be like, okay, that makes me like him even more, um, or, or whatever. So absolutely, for sure. Yeah. So I think that was those were really the two things to me that that stood out. Yeah. Like, so Good. I don't think I will double check if we've had any. Hey, I did see, I, I heard in between that we've had a little bit of sound technical issues uh, with this for the very first, uh, our first two weeks were so smooth and then we had a little bit of sound issues. So I apologize for that. We're going to try to figure out what that is. Our internet kind of comes and goes in this building sometimes. So um, that probably factored into it. But. Yeah, and so I actually, I did get just one in um, and this is just a comment um, from our friend Megan um, rather than a Q&A. Number one, she's loving our Q&As, so these are awesome. Uh, which Megan is it? Megan Vaughn. Oh, okay, good. Hi, Megan. Hello. Um, and she also just really likes this sermon as a follow-up to the previous Bible series. Um, the Bible has always felt very outstanding of my understanding and overwhelming. This empowers me to make it more accessible. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Great. I mean, that's, that's really the goal, whether we talk about Scripture or not. And I hope that in the way that we talk about Scripture on a weekly basis, um, that it would become more accessible and be like, okay, this is this is readable, this is understandable. I can I can work with something like this. I don't have to ascend or be good enough to be able to go to church and be able to. I feel good enough about myself to hear what I'm supposed to do this week or how I'm supposed to live or whatever. I, I definitely want it to be uh, something different. So awesome. Well, Aubrey, continue doing awesome work in our community, and uh, we hope to hear some good news in the forthcoming weeks. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, it looks like we're probably going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks, at least through Easter. So. Um, there's been some questions about, well, when I say there's been some questions, 
my daughter's concerned about the taco truck. What does that mean about our taco truck? Will we not have a taco truck on Easter? And my comment to that is, um, not on Easter, but we'll, we'll, work, we'll work on doing something fun as a replacement for that. So we're dreaming, I'm dreaming of the day uh, that we get, to, uh, we get to come back and get life a little bit back to normal. And I think I might cry when sports come back on TV. I think I might just like, it might be a really emotional thing for me, we'll see. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously seeing all of you in church too, so. All right, uh, thanks Aubrey, appreciate it. Thanks for watching online and uh, have a great week guys. And if we can be of any help, please reach out to us, uh, info at eastlaketricities.com or if you haven't already done so, fill out that connect card and we'll be sure to contact you this week. See you next week for part two of A Religion of Nobodies.